0: Thanks for taking some time to listen to this message on the Elevate Church podcast. We believe that God will speak to you wherever you are. Now, let's prepare our hearts and hear what God has for us today. Stand ...with us over this last few weeks. It's been absolutely incredible uh, teaching from Pastor Colby to the Word of God. And obviously, we've had an obvious bend on marriages. Uh, but honestly, if you look at the truths that have been spoken, those are truths, like, for any relationship. Like, whether it's uh, somebody, a uh, best friend, maybe it's your kids, maybe it's your grandkids like whatever may be. And we've been looking at this verse, it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It says this, love never stops being patient. It never stops believing, it never stops hoping, and it never gives up. Patient, believing, it's hoping, and it never gives up. And we've looked at those over the last few weeks, and so I would encourage you, if you missed those, that you would go back into it. But today we're gonna focus it on that first part, that first word, which is love. If that's what love is, and that's what love does, well, where do we find it, right? Where are we? Where do I? Found, how do I know even maybe when I found it? And so, if you're taking notes, which here's the thing, I would encourage you. If you're in the room, there's a note card in the seat pocket in front of you for a reason, with a pen. We're just implying, directly and indirectly, that the Word of God is going to speak to you today, and that there is a truth that you can hold on to, not just for Sunday, but for Monday and for Tuesday and beyond. So I would encourage you to take notes. This is going to be like drinking from a fire hydrant to an extent. And if you're online. There's your warning as well. Let's dive in, let's get a part of it. But the title for today is called Looking for Love. Looking for love. Now, a few years ago, I was in college. I was a single guy in college, right? And so uh, every once in a while, you have to do this thing called shopping. Maybe you guys have done this before. You go shopping, and what's the number one thing that you need when you go shopping? Money. Money, okay, that's true. But you need a list, right? (laughs) This guy. You need a list, okay? You need money, of course, okay? But you need a list, right? But if you're in college, right? We're all the college, but you're like, I ain't got a list, right? So what would I do? I would just walk up and down the aisles. Be like, okay, I'm gonna go through this aisle, And okay, yeah, maybe I'll grab some of that. And then after a period of time of me just going around, because I have no clue what I'm shopping for, right? After a period of time, I look in my cart or my basket, or if you're like a real man, right? You don't even grab one of those and you're just trying to like hold it all together. But you look and what do you got? You've got the Twinkies, you got the Ho-Hos, you got all the candy. You might have a piece of popcorn chicken, but you know like you probably don't. Like you just got... A bunch, of, a bunch of stuff, because you don't really even know exactly what you are looking for. The thing is, is that we actually date and we approach our relationships the exact same way, like we're shopping without a list. What happens when you shop without a list? You shop based off of preference. You walk up and down the aisle and you're like, well, my parents, they bought that, so I guess I, I'll get that. If you're anything like me, if it's green, I'm probably gonna buy it. Like it's my favorite color. I'm just like instantly attracted. I'm gonna grab that one, right? And we shop and we date differently. Because most of us, right, you shop with a list. Obviously you shop with money, We shop with a list. Right? And so you know exactly what it is that you're looking for. And so you go to the store and what? If you don't have bread on the list, you don't go to the bread aisle. Why would you? You don't need it. But why do we date differently? Why don't we date with the same purpose and intentionality? Why don't we approach our relationships that same way like we do with something so basic like shopping? And so today is going to maybe sound like and look like I'm talking to all the singles. And you might be like, I'm single and I'm ready to mingle. You might be, I'm single and I'm satisfied. And you might be married and like, why did I even show up to church today? Is this like a singles church? Like, what's going on? Here's the reality, is that I believe that the word of God is true today, and I also believe that you, if you're married or you've got grandkids or whatever it may be, right, maybe you've been married for 45, 50 years, chances are you know someone who's single. Chances are maybe you even have kids that you would hope to raise up one day to date with a purpose, Right, like my daughter, she's gonna be born next month. She ain't dating until she's 35, right? Already said, right? But I wanna make sure that she knows what she's looking for. How do you know what you're looking for? You have to have vision. You have to have vision. Proverbs 29, 18 tells us this, that where there's no vision, the people perish. If you don't have vision, what, you're going shopping, you don't even know what you're looking for. Other versions of the Bible tell us that without divine guidance, you run wild. Looks like dating. If you don't know what's in front of you, you're gonna stumble all over yourself. My goal today is to give every single one of us, no matter where you are in the spectrum, to give you vision for relationships, to give you vision for what it looks like to date. Now, the Bible doesn't talk about dating at all. Let's just preface it that way. Why? Because dating as a term really is like only as old as the late 1800s. And in fact, it was used as a slang term for the middle class and lower class as a euphemism for prostitution. And if you think about it, we don't approach it much differently now. We actually approach it very similar. Like, we've got all the technology at our fingertips, right? Some of you might even be on Snapchat right now, or Instagram, or Tinder, or Christian Mingle, or Farmers Plus, or you're on a YouTube video, like looking at all these gurus and compatibility tests and and assessments, and like, oh, this is how I know I can find my perfect perfect match. But guess what? We still stink at it. How do I know? The divorce rate is somewhere between 40 and 60%, depending on if it's a first, second, or third time marriage. Let's just call it 50 to cut one in half. That's how I know. And there's also a, a, another percentage that's a large percentage of those people that are unhappily undivorced. That you're just hanging on just to hang on. That you, maybe you don't even know why. Because there's no vision for maybe what you want your relationship to look like, but there's a small percentage, and this is my goal today to hit this, small percentage of people who've been married for 40, 50, 60 years, happily loving life, going after it, just excited about what God is doing in their relationships. That's the goal today is to speak to that. And this might sound like and feel like, it's like, wow, you're just calling things out and you're just pointing fingers. No, no, I'm pointing fingers back at me as well. Because this is the exact same message that I need to hear and need to learn. And I think it's true for, for all of us. If you think about it, we train ourselves for divorce by the way that we date. Right, because we got this feeling and we jump into a relationship and we're excited and we're pumped up and maybe a year goes by or a few months goes by and what happens, we get bored. And after boredom for a period of time, we jump out. And we jump into this other one because it's fun and it's exciting and we're going, and then we get bored and we jump out. The thing is, if you've been married for more than a year, I consider the one year like a honeymoon stage, right? If you've been married for more than a year, you know you will get bored in marriage. That's a known fact. Your feelings might change, like I'm just, now I'm bored. The thing is, is that marriage is a commitment. And although your boredom might make you feel like you need to change, a marriage and a commitment doesn't change feelings do. And and so we don't need to train, like you can't train the the way that we're doing things. We're training for divorce. We don't date with purpose, do we? We date just to date. And when we do that, it's dangerous. But Will, this person makes me feel blank. This person makes me feel good. Happy. Like I got these butterflies in my stomach and they text me and I get pumped up and I'm just like, "Ooh, yeah, what's up? I'm excited and I go to bed, right? And I'm dreaming about them and then I wake up and I'm like, did they text me? No, should I text them too? And it's just back and forth. And then you text them and they respond back and they, right? And we love it, right? And feelings aren't bad, don't hear, like, don't hear me wrong. But they're just not reliable. Why? Because feelings change, they fade. Feelings, if you follow that, you're shopping from aisle to aisle without a list. You have no purpose in what it is that you're doing. I wanna give you two quick myths. These are not gonna be on the screen, but two quick myths about where this may stage stages that you might be in as a single person, satisfied, ready to mingle, whatever it may be. The first myth is this. That there's a myth out there that relationships complete you. I'm sorry, Jerry Maguire, but they don't. Marriages, in fact, the truth of that is the marriages actually expose you. Relationships expose you. Like most marriage problems that people in this room that are married, that are facing today, are not problems because of marriage. They're problems because of what happened when they were single. And they weren't healed or in a progressive feeling, and it's not that everything has to be perfect, but they weren't dealt with then, and so they're now being exposed and being dealt with then, now hopefully, but sometimes they're still hidden, even if they are exposed. Like your, your problem with money as a single person will be exposed. It's not just like, oh, I got two incomes now. Not the case. It's going to be an issue later. Your, your problems with addiction don't just get wiped away because now you're married. doesn't happen. Your problems with lust or pornography or, or just sleeping around because it's fun, that doesn't go away because now you're married and you can have sex all the time, right? Married people, are you telling them or am I telling them? It don't work that way. It doesn't just go away. We have to deal with it. So that's the first myth, that relationships complete you. They don't. They expose you. And the second thing is this. There's a myth out there that single is second best. And it's not, it's not second best. And I know, because I've been there as well. You know, there are some people that are maybe tuning in online. Maybe you walked in today and you're, you're single and whatever aspect it may be. And I know that there are times where you can look in the mirror and you're sitting at home and it's all your friends are getting married, all your friends are having all these experiences and you're sitting there and you're like, am I, am I overlooked? Am I forgotten? Am I like unlovable? I, is there something wrong with me? It, it, what's what's wrong? I feel disgust. I feel less than. And I'm just believing right now, in the Holy Spirit would just soften your heart. That if that's you, and you feel that way, and I know it's tough, and I know it might be hard for you to hear, and I know it's hard to even receive it. But the Bible tells us that you are chosen that you are loved, that you are valuable, that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that you are worthy. And so hear me out. I know you might feel those things, but the one who created it all knows your name. I know it's tough. I know it's tough, but you are loved. I know society and culture can make it feel like single is second best. It can make it feel like singles like JV, that these are wasted years but they're not. These are some of the most greatest years of your life or months or whatever it may be as a time as you're single. Because in fact, uh, by the way, if you're single, you can kind of do some things and go travel and do whatever, you can work on some things that you need to fix in your your life, like we talked about with finances and lust and all those types of things, right? Like if I wanted to go on a mission trip, I better talk to my wife, right? I'm not just gonna show up and send her like a message like, hey, I'm in El Salvador now. (laughs) That don't work, right? I'm going to have some, I'm sleeping on, I'm not even sleeping on the couch when I get home. Like it is going to be rough, right? But if you're single, it's like, I might just text my parents, but they're probably okay. I'll show them pictures later on. That you can see how God would use you in this season, this perfect season to grow you and transform you. Maybe you've seen a social media picture or whatever it may be that says, hey, become the person that you would want to marry. That's not just the cool graphic, that's actually the truth. That we can become the person that we would want to Mary. So today we're gonna to look at one verse, one verse. And this is in 1 Timothy chapter four. This is Paul, the apostle Paul writing to Timothy as his, his young apprentice. Now he calls him his young apprentice and scholars believe that Timothy would have received this letter at about 30 or 40 years old. And so if you aren't 40, you are young. Yeah. Come on, yeah, we got one person who's pumped up about being young. And if you're close to 40, you're close to young. So that's cool. I'm real young. (laughs) But I believe that these five truths today will give us a vision for how we should date, that they should give us a vision for how we can teach our kids and raise them up or our friends. We can point this to them. But I also believe that these five truths will help you in your marriage, no matter what situation or season you might be in. What we do now is going to affect what happens later. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 12, it says, don't let anyone... Think less of you because you are young. Come on. But be an example to all believers in what you say, in the way that you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. What you say, the way that you live, in your love, your faith, and your purity. This verse, by the way, is not a marriage verse, it's not even a relationship verse, really. It's a leadership verse that he was, or leadership part of the leadership manual that, that Paul was writing to Timothy. But these five truths, although the Bible may not specifically talk about dating and specifically speak to something, we can take truth from the word of God and apply it to our situations and our circumstances. So we're talking about looking for love. What do we look for? We look for these five things. The first one is this. We wanna look for something or for someone and, and we wanna look in what they say. Like how do they talk? Like, are they somebody who just goes around and just swears all the time and just cussing and going crazy, right? Like, I, sometimes I'll get in groups of people, and, um, you know, as a pastor, and, like, just be talking and whatever, and the person's just like, well, F this, and whatever. Oh, sorry, sorry, you're a pastor, my bad. Which I think is the dumbest thing, by the way, you could ever do. Because you, in that moment, you are admitting to me and to every other person that's around you that you don't care who's around, that in that moment that you're like, I actually care more about what you think of me instead of actually progressing. That you are, are willingly to be different depending on who's around. We gotta be careful. Now, it's different if someone's just like, oh, sorry, so sorry. I know I just swore, but I'm working on it. And I'm, I'm trying to get better at it, my, my bad. That's different, that's progress. I'm not talking about perfection, I'm talking about progress. We need to look in what they say? What happens when they get angry? Maybe you're on a date with somebody. I'm not saying you try this. I'm not saying you don't try this. What happens if they, you know, their finger hypothetically got slammed in a door? What do they say? Are they going crazy, swearing, punching stuff? Like what happens in those moments when they get angry? Because those moments when someone gets angry and tensions are high, right? Who knows? They might slam something and then maybe later on they slam you. Maybe later on your kids get mad and, or get them mad and they start going crazy at the kids. We need to pay attention to what they say. I remember in college, uh, I, it was before Kelsey and I were together, but I went on a date, if you want to call it that. It was, You'll hear it's bad. But... Um, <laughs> went out to have got chicken wings, come on, Edinburgh. Like we, that's what you do in Edinburgh, you get chicken wings. And so we went out and got chicken wings and literally as soon as we sat down, it was like I was on an episode of TMZ and it was just like gossip and gossip and do you hear what this person did and that person did? And I'm sitting there thinking like, oh my gosh, what did I get myself into? Just tearing people down, all of this. Like that's what the person was doing, it was awful. Luke 6.45 tells us this, that a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say flows from what's in your heart. Our defaults can be dangerous. And we can work on them and we can start progressing, we can start moving forward. Because the Bible tells us, instead of tearing someone down, build someone up to speak words of life, to be an encourager, to be a cheerleader, just to say, hey, I know you screwed up, but I believe not in your past, I believe in your future. That your failures, they're not final, that we can work through this together. I'm gonna be here for you, I'm by your side, I got you. When we're looking for love, we need to look at this. It's a huge step in maturity in what they say. And what they say will point to the second one, and that's this, that in the way that they live in the way that they live. Another way to put this would be their reputation. Think about a reputation. It's minutes and moments of your entire life stacked on top of each other to say that this is your life, this is your reputation. Now, it doesn't necessarily disqualify you. It doesn't necessarily disqualify someone because if that were the case, I probably would have never walked through the, the doors of this church, let alone stand here today to talk to you about this. However, it's something that we need to look at. It's something that we need to, to see in the way that they live. Single people, just because they love puppies and they're all cute and cuddly and those moments and they seem amazing, you've got to be careful. Proverbs 31 tells us this, that charm is deceptive and beauty does not last. Charm, it's deceptive. And those six-pack abs turn into a beer keg real quick. <laughs> the duck lips, right, are turning the chap lips, come on. It doesn't last. Are they good things? Sure. But you got to be careful to not be swooned over by them. Charm is deceptive. Like, listen, if you're dating somebody, you're interested in dating someone, that is an interview. They are trying to be the best person they possibly can for you, and they're trying to be, or you're trying to be the best person for them. So, of course, they're going to say the right things and do the right things. Charm is deceptive. So, here's how you figure out. How do they interact with people who can do really nothing for them? What does it look like on the phone the other end of customer service? What about their server at the restaurant you're going out to eat at? What about their parents? Because that's when you figure out what's actually going on in the way that they live, because charm can be deceptive. Now, someone's reputation doesn't necessarily disqualify them because I know people who, are, who were drug addicts that are now recovered, that people that were in jail that have done, by their own words, horrific things that you would never even imagine that I could do, that right now are some of the best parents, some of the best husbands, some of the best wives, some of the best leaders in the community. And the thing is, this, this letter that we're looking at from Paul, he had a reputation. If you know anything about Paul, he was a, a Christian oppressor. Like he murdered and and put Christians on trial. That was his reputation. But then in a moment, by the blood of Jesus, his life was completely changed. And the remainder of his life, the letter that we're reading at was not based out of his reputation. It was based out of his repentance. So the question I wanna ask you and the question I'm asking me and the person that you're looking, maybe looking for love with is this, is does their repentance, does your repentance Speak louder than their reputation? Does your repentance speak louder than your reputation? How do you speak? What does it look like in the way that you live? All that will point to in the way that they love. Like, what do they love? What do they love? Is it football? Is it golf? Come on. Penn State? Browns, run, right? Money, kids, dogs, cats, run. Like, whatever that thing may be, it will show up potentially what their idols might be in the future. And I'm not saying that any of those things are bad, by the way. Like, in a few weeks, I'm gonna be interested and I want to watch the Masters. Like, I'm excited about that. However, like, with a baby on the way, if my wife's like, hey, I need you to build whatever this may be, or can you paint this, or can we move that? If I'm just like, no. I'm watching this, I've made that an idol over my wife. We'll be able to see what that looks like. Parents, like do your kids, do they say, wow, you must really love God. Because we go there, uh, you know, we sit one, and then we, you guys serve one. And then every morning you're reading his book and like you talk to him, not just before dinner or lunch or breakfast, but you talk to him throughout the day and you're singing songs in the shower and you don't sound very good, but you're, you're singing to him. You must really love God. Or do your parents on the other end, or do your kids on the other end say, why do we look and act different in that place than anywhere else? That will reveal what it is that you love. Matthew 22 says this, Jesus replies, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as your Self. The entire law and the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. Do so they love God? Do they love people? We can look at this by looking at three things really simple. Where are they spending their time? Where are they spending their treasures? And where are they spending their talents? What you invest in shows what you love. Time, treasures, and talents. Are they using what God has given them for the glory of God or are they just using what God's given them for the glory of self? Where are they spending their time at? Are they involved in small groups? Are they involved in these different types of, of things? Jesus himself says this in Matthew 6.21. 6, he says, wherever your treasure is, the desires of your heart will also be. We need to look at what they love. What they love will ultimately point to the fourth one and that's this, their faith points to their faith. So we talked about this journey with Jesus. We talked about this, this aspect, right? Are they active? Do they let like, other things get in the way of their beliefs? And I'm not just saying, like, how's their faith? Like, what, what you know, scripture reference is tattooed on their arm, you know? And do they have a tune into God bumper sticker or anything? That doesn't show someone's faith. I'm saying, are they caring about the things that God cares about in a relationship with him? What does it look like? Do they, are, do they value coming to, to a place or, or tuning in online every single week in corporate worship? Are they reading scripture? Are they praying? Are, are they involved in small groups and, so they can be challenged and uh, held accountable to their faith? Are they serving? Are they serving in the community? Now for you, if you're single in the room and you're like, well, Will, this sounds really great, but like, where do I find somebody? Here's what I would recommend you do is that you get involved in everything in the church, right? Like if I was single, which I'm not, but if I was... I would like serve as many times I could. I'd be in every community event. I'd be in small groups. Why? Because I'm running a race, not towards someone, but towards God. And I'm trying to get as close as I possibly can. And so if I'm running and I'm running, and I'm in my wingtips, but I'm running, right? And I'm going, I'm going. I might just look over eventually after a year or two years or three years or four years, who knows, and look over. And there might just be somebody who's running the same race that I'm running. And maybe, just maybe... <laughs> We might be compatible in a way that we could partner together in this race. However, if it doesn't happen, it's okay. Why? Because I'm not finding my significance in someone else. I'm finding my significance in who God has called me to be. And so it's looking at pointing to who God is. And his timing is perfect. Like if you're single in the room, timing is perfect right now, not just when you meet that someone. It's, it's perfect now. Now I wanna encourage you with this. I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on this, but... This is important. Don't treat the dating field as your mission field. They don't know the Lord. Well, I'm just gonna bring them in the church though. And we're dating, but they don't like, no, no, don't. Don't do it. You wanna lead somebody to the Lord? Yeah, sure, bring them. Bring them to church as a friend. But but don't date with an unbeliever. In fact, 2 Corinthians tells us this is, don't team up with those who are unbelievers. And here's why. How can a righteous, Be a partner with wickedness. How can light live with darkness? Saying, hey, these things don't mix. What harmony can there be between Christ and the devil? How can a believer be a partner with an unbeliever? Don't treat the dating field as a mission field. Love them, care for them, bring them to church, whatever it may be. But you wanna make sure that if you're running this race in five years, that they actually stand for the things that you stand for that you believe in the things that you believe for. We need to look at what they say and that points to how they live and how they live will point to what they love and what they love will point to ultimately their faith. And their faith will point to this last one and that's this, their purity. We need to look at their purity. Purity is moral; is a moral cleanliness. It's a desire and a whole to live a life that's whole and clean from corruption and compromise. Living a pure life in this way allows us to be able to actually resist temptation because we know what we, we stand for. And so you need to figure out if you're looking for love, like from a moral stance, are they entertaining the things that Jesus went to the cross for? You'll find out quick. Are they entertaining those things or are they entertaining the things of God? The things that matter to God. Are they entertaining those things? We need to look and figure out, okay, are there thoughts? Are their thoughts entertaining things that Jesus went to the cross for? This matters so much. Don't miss this. like whatever you invite in, you will delight in. Every single time. Amen. Whatever you invite in, you delight in. So are they committed? Are you committed and have pure thoughts? Obviously, purity also talks about sexual purity. And I know this might be, you know, not fun preaching, but that's okay, it's the truth. Amen. Sexual purity is restraining from extramarital sex. That means pre-marriage and during marriage. That means looking at stuff, not looking at stuff, right? Right? It's purity in that why. And here's why this matters. Is because if you are looking for love, if you are looking for a partner, if you're looking for somebody that you wanna spend the rest of your life with, not just a year, you wanna make sure that they stand for and believe in the same things. All these things point to, back to Jesus. You wanna make sure, you wanna see how committed they are. First Corinthians 6 tells us this about sexual sin and about sexual purity. It says, run from sexual sin. That there's no other sin Meaning, hey, this is different. There's no other sin that so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize, he writes, that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God. You do not belong to yourself as to say, your body's on loan. And if you loan something out to somebody, you would want them to care for it like it was their own. Sexual sin goes against that. it says, you do not belong to yourself for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor your God with your body. Now, I'm not telling you that sex is bad. I'm not, right? Like my wife is pregnant. So like sex is good. It's a good thing, okay? But like sex in context is great. Follow me with this. Fire in context is great right, like it heated your food maybe this morning. It's cooking the food for crash course right now. It got you to church today, if you're in the room. It probably even woke you up if you were at home because it turned on your furnace or whatever it may be. Or if you're in the South, it turned on your air conditioning. In context, it's great. Out of context, it's dangerous. It's got consequences. Sex in context is great. Out of context, it's got context or consequences. If you're a Christ follower and you are engaging in premarital sex, I'm just letting you know right now, you are setting a pattern and you are being okay with compromising now. Who's to say you won't compromise later? And I know we can change and I know things happen, but you have a high probability of compromise later because you're saying, hey, you know what, God, I know what your word says, but I'm gonna do what I want, when I want, and how I want it. We don't want to compromise. And you might say, well, I just, Will, I gotta practice. (laughs) Practice makes perfect. No, it doesn't. Not in this context, because that would be boiling down intimacy and love to tips and tricks. And why doesn't it work that way? It's because it wasn't designed that way. It doesn't work that way. That's not what it's about. It's not tips and tricks. And you might say, okay, can't practice, but how far is too far? Like how, how close could I get? Like to where I'm still good, but how, how far is too far? And here's what I would say. If you were uh, wanting to see how close you can get, we're in a hundred story building, right? Huge skyscraper. And you're like, well, how, how close can I get to the edge, and to which my response to you would be, well, depends if you wanna jump off or not. If you wanna go all the way, I would recommend you not even get on the elevator. It's not how close can I get to the edge until it's kind of dangerous and I'm not really sure and I'm teetering back and forth. No, it's it's not how close you can get to the sin, it's how close can I get to God. So don't entertain it. Don't even get on the elevator And I know that there's some young ears in the room. There's some young ears that be at home. Here's, Here's how I would say this. How far is too far? If your body is starting to prepare for sex, that's too far. That's too far, that's the line. And you just gotta draw the line in the sand and say, that's it. This is where it is. Why, this matters so much. It's not how close can I get to the line? It's how close can I get to God? And then in context, you find the person that you, you, you're, you've been looking for and it's like going shopping, right? Like now I go shopping, Kelsey gives me a list and it's like not just like milk and cheese and bread, it's like milk, blue label, 2%, right? Cheese, pepper jack shredded and like it gives me specific. And so when I go to the store, I'm like, that's it. That's what I'm looking for. That I know it and I get pumped up inside and sometimes I still call her just to make sure. But I'm like, that's what I've been looking for. I found it. When we're looking for love, we can look at these five things. And when you find someone, you can be like, that's it. I've been looking for you and I've been, been, been doing this to get ready for you. It's not about being flawless. It's about making progress. And so you can take an honest look today to say like, how, am, how do I speak? How do I live? How do I love? How's my faith? Where am I with purity? And if there's a, a, a discrepancy in any of those things, hey, this isn't kids' church anymore. You can stop. You can make the change today. You can stop right now. You're an adult, especially in regards to purity, especially in regards to premarital sex and whatever it may be. You can stop. And I know you might be like, well, Will, I've already gone. I I jumped off in that example. I've already gone. So now I'm damaged goods. What does it matter? You mean to tell me that God who loves you so much that he sent his only son Jesus for you will let you be damaged goods forever. Like he, w- he will forgive you. He will restore you. He will. He wants to bless you though. He'll pick you back up, but he'd like to have you stand and say, come on, let's go. Listen, we can't, we can't abuse grace because holiness is inconvenient. We can't do it. We can't abuse grace because it's inconvenient. And I know you're like, well, Will, I've got wounds and they hurt. And you know what? The thing about a wound is is that it's bleeding, gets all over your clothes, hurts, right? Wounds hurt. They can get infected. They can infect other areas of your body. Wounds represent your hurting. They represent your pain. What does a scar represent? It reminds your healing. It's like, hey, this happened, but it's not living there anymore. A scar can't infect anything else. It's been healed. And you maybe have screwed up. I know I have, but you can be set free. Romans 8, 1 tells us this, that they're now, meaning right now, in this moment, not tomorrow, not next week, not when I get everything together, right now. There's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Because of Christ Jesus, because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit that we've been singing about has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death right now, right now. Would you pray with me tonight or this morning? God, we come before you. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for your truth, God, that as we we look for love, God, as we look even to how you would want us to live, God, these characteristics, God, that there are things that I know right now that you are speaking to us through what we say, how we live, to what we love, our faith, our, our purity, God. Father, all those things that don't please you. Father, I pray that through your Holy Spirit, you would bring those to the mind of every single person under the sound of my voice. And God, the list can be long. The list is real long. But God, that you wouldn't just bring it to our minds, God, but that you would, through your Holy Spirit, that we would have the confidence and the courage to give it to you. God, we don't want to add shame or guilt to our sin anymore because you paid for it. We don't need to add anything to it. God, we give it to you. We thank you, God, for how you speak to us and how you you grow us in your word to understand more of your love. Father, I know right now that there is somebody in this room and online in this moment of prayer, God, who has... They've heard about this Jesus. Maybe you're in this room and you're like, I, I've heard about him, but I don't know him. And you read that verse, Will, and it's for those who belong to Christ Jesus, and I don't know that I belong. In this moment of prayer, I wanna give you a moment to respond to maybe that feeling that you're feeling in your spirit right now. This moment where you can respond and how do we respond to Jesus? We just accept what he has done for us, believing that he died on the cross, that God so loved you. By name, he loved you, that he sent this Jesus to live a perfect and sinless life, not so that he could point fingers and condemn, no, so you can have everlasting life and eternal life. That your sins, the things that are coming to your mind are now can be set free because of his blood. That your repentance will now speak more than your reputation if that's you in the room i want to give you a moment where you can just respond in this moment of prayer you just accept the love of the father the bible tells us we confess it with our mouths and believe that jesus is lord that we will be set free that we will be saved and so actually as a church we're going to we're going to come alongside of you by just all of us speaking this out together would you church declare this with me whether in your home you want to yell it out or in this room we just repeat after me, Jesus, today, I give my life to you. I believe that you died for me, that you are risen again to new life for me. Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin, but today I choose to follow you. Today I confess to you as Lord and Savior And from this moment on, Jesus, I choose to follow you. And with all that I am, Jesus, and it's in your name I pray, amen. Come on, church, can we celebrate with those this morning? Thanks for checking out this week's message on the Elevate Church Podcast, and we hope you really enjoyed it. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, congratulations, welcome to the family. We would love to know about it, so please let us know by going to elevatechurch.com slash yes. There will be some practical resources that will help you as you start this journey. If you want to support the mission and vision of Elevate Church to help people far from God reach their full potential in Christ, go to elevatechurch.com give. We'll see you soon. Have a great week.